Hi, and welcome to So What Did You Do? Today our conversation is with the founder of Beyond Blogs, which provides a way of educating that inspires creative problem solving, collaboration and social skills, as well as building confidence and self-worth in kids for all ages. Today we're talking to Andy Hoang. Welcome Andy. Hi Nathan, how you doing? Pretty good. And uh, the reason I got you on is obviously... Um, so what did you do is fundamentally the idea behind it is that um, we are talking to people who have a direct positive impact on people society and and environment it can be all three it can be one and so the reason I think that you fit in with this and the reason I contacted you you, is because your your company basically help educate in a slightly different way and the direct impact as I understand it is that it's helping build confidence and creative problem solving in kids how close or far away from the mark is that yeah I'd say uh, I'd say you're onto something there with the um, especially with regards to the the confidence part Um, so when I started Beyond Blocks it was really to um it was. I'm a huge fan of Lego. Um, so you didn't actually mention Lego in the uh, in the introduction I didn't mention at all. Lego. Um, did you? I didn't mention yeah. Lego. No. I mean, Lego's, so it's Lego's like, are the, it's the, quite an important part of it. It really, is, isn't, isn't it? it? It's, it's totally, it's, it's it's totally like, the centerpiece. Actually, it's the fundamental part of what you do, and I completely forgot to mention. <laughs> I was I was looking at you. I was glaring at you, thinking, "When's he going to say it?" Written it down on a piece of paper. Hold it up as a post-it. I probably need one of those actually. Anyway, that being said, um, yeah, when I started the business, the idea was um, that I had been a teacher, um, I'd worked in learning technologies, and the thing was, I, I wasn't really inspired by what I'd seen in, in the school. Um, following national curriculums, kind of not something I saw fired up children to learn, um, and it didn't necessarily do a lot for their confidence when they were learning stuff that they didn't use all the time. Right. So, um, so... Um, I'm a big Lego fan. When I get home, I play with Lego, and I just find it really, you know, it's it's a medium for me to be creative and express myself. So I can express my my, my innermost thoughts by putting bricks together, much like people would paint, um, or you know, make music or something like that. So um, what I wanted to be able to do was bring Lego into classrooms and have children build to express themselves and to solve problems using a medium that they were already deeply invested in um, and that's what I do so now what we what um, my lessons um, are all about is children come in and they build lego models um, they add motors and computers to them and then they learn how to program and um, and they learn engineering um, and teamwork through building a combined like collaborative Lego models. So, learning through play, basically. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I, you know, people always used to say to me when I when I was teach, you know, teaching physics, people would say to me um, when I when I said, "Well, I don't know, I can't really get the kids excited about this." I'd get the uh, the comment, "Why don't you make it fun?" And I thought, Do "You realise." How complicated it is to make, to, something fun. to make something fun. Like to make something fun is the very highest form of education that you can possibly get to. And you have to start at a basis that is already, that has the potential to be fun. 
And sometimes if you're teaching a topic in physics or geography or any other subject, sometimes it doesn't have the potential to be fun. You, you can't make every lesson fun. Um, you know, if you're teaching, for example, moments in physics, there are ways to make it fun, but you have to deconstruct the whole thing and put it all back together completely differently to the way that it's presented in a book. And the problem right. here is that, well, you know, you've got a different topic and five classes in a day and you've got to deconstruct everything that they've given you and put it back together. Not that easy. I suppose, obviously, as well as that, kids don't necessarily, might not necessarily relate to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, how do they relate to something being fun? Well, this is, this is where Lego comes in. So Lego serves as my Trojan horse here. So what we do is I put a bunch of Lego in front of them and suddenly the questions start coming out. If you stick in um, you know, a book and it says, today we are going to learn Newton's first law of motion, they don't have any questions related to that. There's no starting point. You're not starting at a, a, a point where they're naturally inquisitive. Um, whereas with Lego, if, you, if I was to put um, you know, five bricks in front of you, your first question would, you know, you'd have a first question. And your first question would be, why have I got five bricks? What's, what's with the five bricks? Yeah, what's with the five bricks? Um, and the answer can be a, almost anything. You know, I can say, well, we're going to try to build a really tall tower now. Um, and suddenly, there's an objective. And it's an objective that hasn't come from, you know, it's not external to you. It's actually, it's, it's, it's immediately internalised by the child. Right. They want to interact with these five bricks. They want to do something with them. You just have to kind of point them in the right direction and say, well, that, that's what we want to do. And immediately, because they've played with Lego since they were, in most cases, three years old, they already understand the vocabulary of those five bricks. They understand that the studs go in a certain direction. You're meant to put them studs up. They already know that. You don't have to explain the vocabulary to them. Whereas if you were to say, okay, I'd like you to make a really tall tower using this scientific equipment in my lab. They're like, well, what, what, what goes on top of what? Um, you know, is this, is this brittle? Can I break it? How do I fail this? Whereas when you give them um, Lego, they don't see the potential for failure. They see the potential for, you know, for, for, for success. So if you, I was to say to them, there's five bricks, build a tower... They know they can succeed with that task because they understand the underlying vocabulary and the syntax that goes with it. They understand the, the, the configurations that they can achieve from this. You're giving them actually a world of opportunity here um, and you're giving them a way to express and a way to build up an answer. Whereas if you were to give them a test tube and you know a balance beam, they have to first understand the vocabulary. You have to say, this is a test tube. You hold it in this direction and you need to, you know, you need to, you, you can't, you know, squeeze it too hard, otherwise it will crack. So there's all of these factors that even before they can engage with it, they don't understand the vocabulary of that scientific equipment yet. So because obviously they understand it, that obviously makes everything a little bit more engaging straight away, like you said. Um, so how does that work with building, helping them to be learn something? I mean, obviously you're saying about the vocabulary side of it, but how do you how do you structure that? It's an excellent question. Um, so what 
we do, let's take an example I sort of threw in there a while back. Um, let's take an example of moments. So moments is like how to balance something, right? Why, why something leans in one direction or another direction, right? right. So, for example, um, an, an example of, uh, of moments is a seesaw. So with a seesaw, we know that you've got to have a pivot in the middle and a beam hanging on the top. Right, um, yeah. And then what happens is the beam, if it's perfectly sort of... In the middle. Yeah, if it's perfectly... The, the, the density across it is, is the same, right? If you're in the middle, you know that that beam's going to balance, right? So if we were to, to... And this is a pretty standard thing in a physics lesson. You say, right, I'm going to get your meter stick and I'm going to hang the meter stick by a piece of string and then we're going to put weights on the end and move the weights backwards and forwards. Fairly simple, you'd imagine, but kids haven't seen a meter stick before these days. Yeah. So, you know, and, and then you attach it to a clamp and they don't know how to use a clamp. And the weights fall off. And the weights fall off and they're kind of dangerous, actually. I mean, you can drop them on your toes and all sorts of stuff. But all that aside, it's all of that, the, you know, the, the, the aforementioned kit, it's all new to them. So if they have never seen hanging weights and they don't know how to use them, they'll hang them on in all kinds of weird ways. So often what happens with the hanging weights is they've got this little hook on the end. And so yeah. when they stick it on a meter wall, they stick it at the top and it just slides off and lands on their feet. Happens a lot. Um, so what I, what, I, I came up with this brainwave one day. I was like, hold on a minute. Lego Technic has these holes in the middle um, and holes, because Lego's so wonderfully engineered, it's perfectly dense all the way through. It's exactly perfectly engineered so that if I were to put the, a, a Technic beam, uh, if I was to put a Technic beam on, a, on some sort of pivot, let's say a Technic um, spindle pin, thing, yeah, yeah. Te Technic spindle or axle, it balances perfectly. And Technic beams have conveniently an, even, uh, an odd number of holes. So you can balance it perfectly. And then what you can do is you can say, all right, so we've got this, um, we've got this, uh, you know, you've built in 10 seconds uh, with kit that you already know, you've built yourself a seesaw. Where do you put the, uh, where do you put the, uh, the, the, the beam in yeah. order that it can balance? And they go, well, obviously in the middle here. Yeah. All right. So now you've got, the, you've got a minifig comes on, another minifig comes on. Where do you need to sit them? Oh, I'll stick them on this stud, which is exactly the same distance away as this stud on the other side. Great. Now another guy comes along and wants to join in. What do we have to do with them? Oh, right. So we've got, what, three people on this? Okay, well, what do we do with that? And suddenly, they're, they're building a real-life thing, um, you know, a real-life situation, a seesaw, with, uh, you know, vocabulary that they know, minifigs, we're going to stick them on, you know, on the beam, and, and it's immediately applicable to their lives. So they can then stick the minifigs on and they go, all oh, right, if I stick two minifigs over here in the centre of the beam, he balances a minifig on the end of this other beam. Right, OK, so two minifigs halfway, one minifig the whole way. And then you can say, all right, well, what, about, what about if we could stick three minifigs on? Four. They then work backwards and figure out, all oh, right, so minifig number times the distance on one side equals minifig you know, number times the distance on the other side. Boom. They've just worked out moments. So it's, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I bet that those kids then go back and show their parents in real life on the seesaw, in the playground, 
what they've learned yeah, and, and why it happens. Definitely, and, and, and not just that, but a lot of them have Lego at home. So they go home and they carry on building. Now, as a, you know, the reason I got into, into learning technologies is because when I was a teacher, I would see sometimes, you know, you'd, you'd get a kid really excited about a topic, they'd go home and they'd want to do it again, and they couldn't because they, they don't have, the have this kit at home, right? Um, and so, you know, I got into the learning technology, so I could say, well, you know, if you do carry on at home, why don't you, you know, write it up at home or record a video and show us what, it, what you've been doing, because that would be awesome. And so I always wanted to knock down the barriers. You know, I, I always wanted to knock the walls of the classroom down and have them do it at home and then have that home experience of learning filter back into the class and vice versa, right? And what's beautiful with Lego is all the pieces are the same. Like, I've got a, you know, Lego education kit. Doesn't really matter. It's it's still Lego. Still Lego. It's still compatible. Lego from, you know, the very first pieces of Lego is still compatible with the Lego that's produced today. Yeah, yeah, So the, the Lego system is so consistent in you know in over time but you know also with regards to the engineering the weights etc it's all very very precise so when they go home they can do exactly the same experiment at home exactly the same and they still get the same light light bulb going on at home and they can show that off to their parents so it's effectively about accessibility yeah definitely so which to be honest that education in itself has a habit of being sort of not elitist but beyond the reach of everyday joes yeah so what you're doing is effectively saying well that's low rubbish in the respect of you don't need all this highly fangled dang stuff and bring it make it more practical everyone's accessible the kids then become excited about it become engaged in it more likely to learn from it because they can see its application so subsequently their results then become it get better yeah absolutely it's, it's really very very much about accessibility and I'm glad you mentioned you know specifically the wording uh, accessibility because yeah I, I want to make education available to everyone I grew up in a council estate I was a refugee um, from Vietnam when you know my parents landed in in the uh, back end of the 70s we had nothing I had a box of Lego and from that I could build anything I like. But, you know, I really like the idea that that sort of science is not restricted to a science lab, um, and especially physics, you know, because when... Um, <coughs> I, cause I, my, by training, I was a physics teacher. Right. Um, so, yes, admittedly, some chemistry, you're going to need those test tubes. But with physics, come on, you can build physical interactions using anything and lego is such a great medium for doing that you know it, it it has all of the physics built into it the engineering on it is perfect and you know i've seen the kids go home and go right we looked at collisions today i'm going to go home and collide a load of stuff and great collide smash the pieces up put them back together you know um, I've had kids go right. Um, um, so, for example, one of the things that uh, one of the, the um, tasks I set because I like to set homework sometimes. I say right. Uh, one of the tasks I set kept the kids busy for a whole week. I was like, okay, I want you to go home and make a clock that takes exactly one minute for the hand to go around. And this is great. They can go home, stick loads of uh, of um, of cogs together, and try to work out how do I slow the the, the motor down so much. It takes exactly one minute to go around. And what's really cool about that, 
Um, and this is what, you know, this is, is a, a really big part of what I do. This really builds their resilience up. Um, it allows, you know, this is something whereby you can go home, you've got all the kit, you've got the same capabilities as actually everyone else. Um, and if anything, if you don't have as much kit as the guy down the road, you can show how phenomenally clever you are by doing the same solution with, with less. And actually, some of the, the greatest solutions have been from kids who go, I haven't got any Lego. And I go, well, that's all right. Just stick your toothbrush in. You know, that, that's got a motor, right? Let's interface that with, you know, with your Lego, the Lego that you do have. And then we end up with stuff that's built out of Lego, but, you know, really Heath Robinson. They've taken, you know, masking tape and stuck in, you know, something completely different and interface it all. And, you know, they say, well, we don't have the motors, but that's fine. We've still managed to build this amazing windmill or, you know, clock or whatever it is by ripping apart something else and putting it together. But, you know, most of it's built out of Lego and actually that's totally cool. That's that's amazing. Because you do, you run, obviously, run classes. Um, We spoke before, you said about a story about, you were saying about resilience. Um, And that seems to be a thing that's, more and more lacking um, in the younger generation does it come from social media with the instant response stuff does it come with the instant accessibility of stuff that people become less resilient and patient I suppose that they um, work at stuff Um, you were telling me about a I'll give you I'll give you a few examples on resilience actually Um, so one of the things that within my class one of the things i really insist on and I actually kind of I'm almost a beast about this I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of my kids kind of see it as mean right but over time so what I'll do is I will never touch a model um, I say to them if you put your hand up and you ask me for help I won't come over and build it for you because the, the format of my lessons goes I'm going to tell you what we're building you'll have the instructions to build it and all the pieces but then so does everyone else and at the end, you're going to you know, build it, modify it, um, do whatever you need to do to make it work. So usually the model is some sort of puzzle. So it might be like we're going to build a robot that can get up a hill. Um, I'll give them the instructions to start building, but it's not very good at getting up a hill. So they then need to modify it to get up a hill. And that part's really hard. So, you know, the, the first part, I want to be able to, you know, I give them instructions so that they can get a sense of achievement. Even if it doesn't get up the hill, that's okay. They've, everyone can follow the instructions to the end and maybe they come up with their own task. If they can't get up the hill, that's fine. They come up with their own task. But most of them will say, well, okay, that's the challenge. Get up the hill. Let's go. Um, right. And so, um, so by the end, you know, there are various stops along the way where they can say, all right, I've built a model. Take that off. I've managed to get up the hill, take that off. I've managed to get up the hill and pull someone else behind me, right? Um, so, you know, there, it, it, there's levels to this game, as they say. Someone else being a little man, I'm taking it. No, it might be, it might actually be, um, you know, if we're, let's say if we're doing a tug of war, you might say, well, if you're really badass, you can not only go up a hill, you can go up a hill while pulling someone else trying to pull you down the hill. Oh, right. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, so we end up with massive tug of wars, this sort of thing, right? Um, but the, the one thing I insist on is I won't ever touch their model. Um, because 
At the end of the session, there's always a show and tell where the parents come in 10 minutes before and we say, this is what they've been building. And I mean that. This is what they've been building. I haven't touched it. I've given them some hints, some tips, but I won't touch their model at all. Now, at the beginning, I think I know the the, the student you're talking about. Um, At the beginning, um, there was a a student who came in and said, I'm stuck. I said, okay, what do you want me to do about it? And he said, well, I want you to build it for me. I said, okay, keep wanting that. I'm going to be over the other side uh, of the room having a cup of tea. And he says, but... I pay you. I said, I don't care. <laughs> you pay me because I set you the challenges. I ask the questions, you build the models. Anyway, he, uh, we got to the end of the session, half-built model. Uh, showtime came along. He sat in a corner having a big hump. Mum calls. Uh, you know, oh, I had a terrible session. Um, he didn't build anything. What did you do about it? I said, I told him I'd build his own model, like I tell everyone else. Um, because the purpose of this is that when you hit a, a roadblock, you will pull your socks up. You will get through and work and turn that lump, you know, that, that kind of bump in the road. That ain't, that ain't failure. That's not what failure looks like. Failure is when you give up, when that bump in the road becomes insurmountable, right? And I ain't going to get over that bump in the road for you because I'm not going to be there every time you hit a bump in the road. You pull your socks up, you get yourself through that. So what I want, and you know, and the mum was like, oh, okay, I get this. I'm going to go have a word with him. The next week, absolutely, he had his foot on the pedal and he made, you know, it, I think it was the tug of war. He made the destroyer because he figured I ain't going to build it for him. And so he came back with a, just a completely different mindset. And from that, you know, I say this to all my staff, don't help them too much. You know, they have to, in my classes, have the opportunity to fail. And they don't have the opportunity to really fail on something that they own. So the problem is in in, in classes for me at the moment is that you send them into a class and you say, here's a bunch of tasks that I want you to do. Like, you know, get to the end of this maths sheet or something. Yeah. They don't own that. that. That's not something that they particularly care about it's a task but it's a challenge that is external to them yeah so what i want them to do is internalize the challenge you say well here's your model get to the top of the hill because it's so dependent on them building it because it's so interactive and i mean that not in a sort of superficial way they own that challenge they own the model everything they've done every brick they put on is another part of their soul they're putting it into the, the, the model and they go, right, it is actually my pride that's on the line if this doesn't get up the hill. And right. then they build into, they, they build the responsibility into that challenge. And by the end, they damn well want to get up the hill and they will do anything they can to get up the hill. Yes, they might face challenges, but what I give them in my sessions is the opportunity to fail. And... If they don't get up the hill, they can decide whether that's a failure or not um, and what they're going to do about it. Because that's important. You know, it, it's not about I want you to fail. I want you to know that whatever bump in the road there is, you've got to look in the mirror. So you're giving them the tools to, uh, you're basically, it sounds like you're giving them the, the tools and the permission to um, address the challenges. 
and achieve or fail as they see fit. And the learnings they take from that, then they can take forward into other areas. So it's a, a simple version where there are no consequences other than the fact you might be slightly embarrassed that it didn't work properly. Do you find in that, though, as well, that it builds a camaraderie or collaboration or, you know, within the people who are taking part? Yeah, um, so the lessons are always uh, always taken in pairs. So, um, well, well, so when I say that, the kids always work in pairs in the lessons. Um, and they're, they're, the kits are designed for that. So um, when they're building, they're working in pairs so that I can hear what they're saying. Uh, or more to the point, I can hear what they're thinking as they go through. But also it's great to see that the, 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 the kind of um, compromises they have to make. So you might say, you know, let's let's take the, the, the sort of sumo example. You know, they, one kid might say, well, we've got to go really fast. The other kid says, well, hang on, if we go fast, we're going to, that's at the expense of, of power. And this is a sumo wrestle. So we need to, you know, there is this compromise. We've been learning about power versus, you know, about sort of um, power and, and, and speed. So we, we need to make sure that, that the compromise is right. And then the other kid will, will you know, will, will sort of, you see the light bulb go on. And that's when the learning happens. And, and they realise that there is great benefit of, together. of listening and, and working together. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, I, I, I agree. I give them the, the, the tools um, and the permission to, you know, be a great success, actually, to define whatever success they, you know, they want to make out of that. Um, and that's, that, that's, that's, you know, deeply important to me, the, the, the idea of young people taking responsibility, you know, young people then finding the tools that they need from the task at hand and saying, well, actually, we have all of these things. You know, we, we have the same kit as everyone else, but the only advantage we have is in how well we collaborate and how clever we are and how we apply our knowledge. Um, because, you know, another thing I do is if they say, can we have more pieces? Of course you can't. <laughs> Why would I give you an advantage over everyone else? You have an advantage. It's up here. Use it. Use it. Use your brain. So I think it's, I really find it fascinating that, that it's su- such a simplistic thing that you're saying, but the, excuse the big word, but the ramifications going forward are showing that collaboration works, showing that teamwork works, showing that creative thinking works in solving problems. And as, you know, without being too deep and meaningful but as society moves forward the more mundane tasks are being automated the the jobs and the careers and the prospects and you know the problems we face are going to be addressed by creative thinking are going to be addressed by collaborating together and so what you're doing is you're putting that in people's armories at an earlier stage yeah 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 definitely um, and it's been said, one of the most important questions a kid can ask um, in a class or anywhere, and in fact, let's, let's not stop at kids. One of the most important questions anyone anywhere can ask is, why am I doing this? Why, why are you making me do this with my time? You know, if you're working in an office and somebody's giving you something that makes you ask that question, it's not only valid, it's actually core to 
their well-being and, and the, the whole system. And what I mean by that is, like, I remember being a physics teacher and kids would ask me almost every lesson, what are we learning this for? And I'd be like, because it's in the curriculum. <laughs> um, you know, I look back on, on the stuff that I taught and I think, my God, have I ever used any of that? Really? Do I have a better excuse than because I told you so? Like, that fills me in a way with a bit of shame. Yeah. Like, what why do I, do, why do I have to time? do this? Because I said so. Because I said so. I mean, what, what ridiculous, like, because I said so, what gives me the right to take your time and, you know, and, and, and give you nothing in return of value? That is unethical, actually. Um, and so, you know, for me, when I was working as a teacher, I ended up getting depressed, actually. Got, uh, you know, I got huge anxiety, panic attacks, and I didn't know why. And it was because, you know, looking back on it, I wasn't teaching anything useful. You know, as a, as a teacher, you don't go into the profession for the money. You go into the profession to help change people's lives. Now, if they're asking you, why am I doing this? That comes from the right place because their time is valuable. Now, you've got to value their time. And it's the same with, with, um, with, uh, with staff. You can't just say, well, it's because I'm paying you. Their time's valuable. If you're just paying them and telling them to do something that's actually of zero value, what you're doing is unethical. Well, um, well they're not going to feel, they're not going <coughs> to be fulfilled of course. for a start. You know, so you're then not going to get the best out of them. Of course. Which means they're not going to produce. And I can say, I've never had anyone ask me what we're doing this for. And since starting Beyond Blocks, it's one question as a teacher of, uh, of, of Lego, nobody's ever asked me. Because it's obvious why they're doing it. Because they've got to get up a hill. So from their point of view, okay, well, this is kind of obvious. From my point of view, I know I'm teaching them gear ratios, I know I'm teaching them programming, I know I'm teaching them engineering, teamwork, social skills, all of these things. That's what I'm thinking. But from their point of view, there is a purpose for doing it. And then they go home and they carry on doing it because it has value to them. So you're actually... You're actually elevating their ability to play better as well. Mm -hmm. So they go home from your classes... Um, with more knowledge of how to do better stuff with the equipment they got or the Lego they got. Yep. So they end up, they can see progress. Absolutely. Um, and it is, it, it really is about, um, well, I, I guess, you know, the word Lego is a Danish word that's a, it's a shortened, um, it's, a, it's a short, whatever you call that, portmanteau, uh, where... Um, in Danish, uh, it's something like leg got, which means um, play well. So you just said, you know, it gets them to play well. And that was what I started this whole business based on, was the idea that I don't actually think that children necessarily play well with Lego by, like, on a, um, you know, on, the, on their own. Um, so to some extent... I mean, there's some kids do, right? But uh, one thing that I hear very regularly from parents is, uh, so I buy little Jimmy a, uh, a new kit every month and uh, he's not getting any better. <laughs> the answer's in the question. So I think, um, and you know, you'd know this as an artist, Nathan, but we, 
thrive with um, constraints. And what happens is that when we, you know, purchase a Lego set, we get a whole new set of constraints. Um, we have to build with, uh, you know, with the pieces in the box. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a new sort of, uh, there's a new kind of uh, instruction set. Yeah. And then, so, you know, so from that, kids go, yeah, what are we going to do? So they start building the instructions. Now, the name Beyond Blocks actually came from, you know, I was thinking about, well, I actually want to go beyond the instructions. Yeah. I actually want to, I want to take kids beyond that and actually get them to take the, the model apart, put them back in a well, different I never, relation. My, it was, I had Lego all through my childhood. Mm-hmm. Loads, of, well, not necessarily loads of it, a varying amount of it. Depends how much you lost and got sucked mm-hmm. on the Hoover and stuff. But I don't ever remember having any um, instructions until I got bought an actual Lego kit one Christmas when I was an awful lot older. But all my childhood, I, I just had Lego blocks that that came from jumble sales or charity shops or, or wherever it came from. So I never got bored. And I know people, you know, I remember people who I used to go around their houses and look enviably at their, their real flash Lego sets that were hung around their room. But they were hung around, right? And they didn't play with them. They didn't they play with the like, Lego. They yeah, never they played with it. On the wall, and you think, hang on, look at all that potential that's just sitting on the, you know, on your mantelpiece doing nothing. Yeah. Like, what, what are we doing with that? It's, you know, great, you've built it. Now take it apart, do something else. And a lot of the models that I, that I see, I don't think they're ready um, so you know I always say to the kids uh, so you know in the, in the class they might, they might say I finished Andy I'm like you do realise that the instructions are the beginning so when you finish the instructions the next bit is where you have to use your brain <laughs> and so they're used to that now they're used to getting to the end of a model and then saying I just noticed when it starts moving it falls over oh great well what are we going to do about that and so at that point they start building them and they make them better because there is a certain reverence that children have for the instructions because the instructions were built by some professional right yeah well why does that make it any better why does that make it better than what you can make right in fact if you look at it really closely you'll probably find there's all kinds of flaws in it take it apart let's you know so you built iron man well great build war machine you know there's a there's a at the moment there's a um a, um, there's a designer who's got uh, he's, he puts something up almost every day he's called Universe Wang I think his name is and um, and he's he's taken the the Lego Elvis dots set which has got about 3,000 one by one circle tiles quite tiny little circle tiles they're basically pixels right, right. and the idea of these Lego dot sets um, is you're meant to paint with them so he basically paints so the 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 elvis set is uh i don't know if you can see this viewers but it's about this big it's huge and the idea is that you stick the dots onto a base plate and you get a picture of elvis now most users will take that and go great i've got a picture of elvis hang it on the wall he's been building for the last sort of two years he's been building alternative people out of it and I'm like, so Elvis is this white guy with, you know, and, and, and the, the model's like on red background, right? But there's so many extra pieces in that set. And the idea is that, you know, you're supposed to build something else. So he's built a, a whole cast. Yeah, he's built a whole cast of the Queen's Gambit. Um, you know, the whole cast of, of, of various other things. I'm like, how the hell did you turn Elvis 
into Shaquille O'Neal. And he has. It's like, yeah, I've just taken the dots, I just put them in a different configuration. And it's mind blowing because, you know, you think of Lego as this three dimensional thing, but he's been painting with Lego. And every day is a different person. But you've got Herbie Hancock built out of Elvis Presley. Who was Shaquille O'Neal? Um, a basketball player. Yeah. Hence why I say, you know, he's, uh, he's, he starts off with a white dude and ends up with, you know, in many cases, completely different types of figures. But it's, for me, that, that's what it's about. You know, you, you don't, you, you sort of say, nice example, Lego. Well done. Thanks. You know, look what I can do. Look what I can do. And it's when you can do that and you can take control of the set that then you can say, okay, I'm now a creator. I'm not a, I'm not a consumer. I'm a creator of Lego. Saying about creators, when, when do you see the, the kids go, the penny drop and go, ah, oh, I get it. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. It's never at the end of the instruction build. So they'll build the instructions. They go, oh, look, it moves. There's, I'd say they get a, a, a level one kick. You know, great. Yeah, they built the instructions, right? But they are aware they've put no effort into that. Because for all the kids who come to my lessons, building instructions is something they can do standing on their head. And to be honest, <coughs> the instructions on all Lego sets are so good. Anyone can do them. There's no effort there. That being said, you know, Lego have a set, um, they have a range aimed at adults. And the idea is you're not meant to think too hard. It's a mindfulness exercise. You're not really meant to switch your brain on. You do it and you go, oh, that's nice. Didn't know that. Right, so, you know, they, they, they have a lovely bouquet that you can build. You build it. You know, the idea is to transport yourself away. That's not what happens in my lessons, right? So they get to the end of the, the, the thing. That's not where they get any sense of achievement. And they shouldn't because they haven't done any work. So the penny drops after they've done some work. And it's usually after they've been through a fire or two. Um, and so, you know, it's not always competitive. Sometimes it's, it's pretty simple. Just make this thing stand up properly. And it will be a battle. And I think that a penny normally drops with a louder clang, the harder, the higher you drop it from. So yeah. if you kind of, you know, if you really, really push them hard, you will see a massive smile on their face at the end. Like if you say, all right, today we're going to be balancing this model and we're going to balance it on one stud upside down, you know. <laughs> that is so horrendous. Why would you do that to us? And they'll, they'll whinge and they'll complain about it for about 45 minutes. And then about five minutes from the end, they balance it on one stud. Turn the motor on and it spins around on one stud. And they're like, oh my God. Um, and I think penny dropping is, is or, you know, or maybe... Not necessarily penny dropping, but the, 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 the potential for a feeling of achievement is directly related to the potential for failure. Like if, you, if you're balancing it on one stud and it drops in you know, 360 degrees and it drops every single angle you can think of, right? The minute they find the one place it balances, it's the biggest rush for them. And it's the biggest rush for me because sometimes they solve it in ways I would never have dreamt of. Um, and so, you know, like I say, I don't touch the model. They come up with the solutions and most of the time 
It ain't a penny dropping for them. It's a penny dropping for me. Because they're as, ex- as inspiring to me as I am to them. So I, would, I love watching their solutions. So what do you reckon, you know, just going beyond the lessons and stuff, how it impacts them um, it, on a personal level? This is a really good question. It's quite close to my heart, actually. I've had quite a lot of feedback from parents saying, I, I didn't know that my, my child could present. Um, you know, I've never, never seen that before. You know, he loves coming to your lessons and I've never seen him stand up behind you know, before the class and present. This goes back to my my earlier comment about the ownership of the working class. If you say get up and present, you know, or get up and present your, your maths homework. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Like, or get up and, pre- you know, sort of read this passage from a book. How much ownership do you have of that content? Like, really zero. You're just going through the motions, right? But when you spent an hour getting the gymnast to do a handstand out of Lego, um, which we did the other day, absolutely hilarious. But, you know, you've owned that process. You know everything that's gone in there because it was, it was on you to make it do a handstand. So, you know, you know where it's gone wrong. You know what you did to correct it. And you want to tell everyone. Well, you, like, when I say it's showtime, who's going first, all the hands go up. And I've never seen that in physics class. Um, you know, and, 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 and that's, that, that is, you know, for me, the, the first thing, the first benefit of running Lego classes is suddenly they've had to talk to each other. They've had to talk to each other to solve problems. And then they've had to present what they do. And suddenly you see this, this growth this growth in children from like I'm just this shy person who builds Lego in my back, you know, in my back room on my own. To yeah, actually, I, I have to collaborate with other people to make this build. Otherwise, it just isn't going to happen. Yeah. To well, actually, this is the stuff I'm building is so good that I'm going to tell everyone about it. Right now, there's one extra thing I kind of haven't mentioned, but um, but I want to make sure that. Everything that we do is sort of related to real life. I mean, you mentioned this earlier about, um, I, you know, we had the, the, the conversation about um, what is this for? Why am I yeah, doing yeah. this, right? So And how it applies to real life. Yeah, how, how does it apply to real life? Now, a lot of, you know, if I was doing a presentation in, in, in school of, you know, my maths homework, there's nowhere you can apply <laughs> to real life. So... Um, every uh, every holiday, I run a, uh, a competition, and I say, "All right, kids, um, I want you to build a clock that takes a, a minute to go round." Or you know, last the last one was, "I'd like you to build a work of art. Pick, pick a famous work of art, and with that work of art, I want you to add a motor to it. You know, build it out of Lego, then add some electronics to it to make it come alive." So I was thinking, you know, Mona Lisa with like eyes that spin around or something like that. The kids right. blew me away. So we have this amazing Mondrian piece that just, like the centrepiece, just spins around. Um, so it's, it's this square and the centre just spins and it's really mind-blowing. Um, we've got uh, another one. Uh, do you remember the Banksy piece? where the, it went There's on been auction. a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> now, specifically, um, it's, it's the one where um, it was called Girl with a Balloon. 
And mm. when it went on auction, as soon as the yeah, hammer comes, it shredded. Down, it shredded. Yeah, yeah. So someone built that totally out of Lego. Wow. And it was great. So coming back to that comment of like, you know, what is this for? I really wanted to link what they do with the classroom, like what they do in the classroom, to reality. I wanted to show them that being an engineer and being creative has real world value. So what I said to them is I said, okay, look, um, all your entrance to the, to the competition was so good that what I'm going to do is I'm going to build the instructions for you. I'm going you know, to take your, your set, I'm going to build the instructions and I'm going to sell them on my website. And any profit that is made, you get it. Wow. So you can then see, it's only going to be like, get £1.50 or something from, a, from each instruction booklet that sells, right? But at the end of that session, like at the end of, of, of the holiday, they brought their, their models in and people were saying, I want to build that. I want that. How do I make that? Like, your banks is so cool. I want to build it at home. Show me. So I'm like, okay, well, buy the instructions and... Then you can. Then you can. And, and the kid who built the instructions is going to go, well, hang on, my creativity, you know, my engineering prowess, that's, that's a real thing, isn't it? Like, when he's teaching me this stuff in class, I don't have to ask why we're doing it because he's proven to me that it has value because every week he comes in with another two pounds because I built this model over the holiday, right? And so I, I want to connect it. You know, I want to I give them the confidence to say, okay, I, I've got the license now to be creative and I can see real value in it. There's real world value to what they're doing and they can see it. So if that's a, as they go forward in their lives, they can then apply that to other areas, which then will give them rewards back. So they realise that there's the reward of struggling through adversity means that you achieve what you've set out to achieve. Um, you've got the side of there is value to what I do because I'm getting some money back from, you know, what yeah. you just said. You've got building of relationships, interaction with people, collaborating, um, standing up. It's built confidence so they're presenting in front of people, standing up, um, communicating. There seems to be an awful lot of upsides. Um, it's uh, my, my immediate thought is, as you've been talking all the way, is, is if this is such a simple solution, yeah, why hasn't it been applied, you know, throughout, you know, in schools, for instance? It, it's a really great question. I've wondered that for ages. Um, and I go into schools, actually. Well, one, you know, obviously I run the um, after-school clubs yeah. as my main source of income, but I also go into schools to deliver this in schools. And, uh, and I think school teachers have a, a lot on their plate. You know, they've got a curriculum to deliver, um, and it's not always obvious where Lego's going to fit into the whole thing. Um, obviously, from my point of view, you know, I specialise in the delivery of... of lego lessons and so i guess i view everything through a lego lens so if you said to me we're going to teach earthquakes today i'm like great let's build that lego but i would imagine that it doesn't even need to be lego no it doesn't. I'd, I'd imagine that you know having a having a different way of teaching a thing where a, a subject where you can instantly relate you know the subject matter to reality i mean i've got mm -hmm. two grown-up kids 
And one of their bugbears from school is they don't teach you anything. <laughs> That's about right. And, and what they mean by that is not that he didn't, you know, I've got one who learned Italian, you know, he can see the implications of that, but that's because it's obvious. He's like, I'm talking in a different language. I could communicate with someone from another country. But, you know, he doesn't understand. He, basic life skills, that he says, are fundamentally lacking. And he didn't see the point of X, Y, and Z lesson. I mean, he loves, we, we went to see Brian Cox, um, mm-hmm. to listen to him and we were both absolutely fascinated from start to finish and he loves you know quantum physics mm-hmm. but he hated physics at school because it was so drab and boring you know and there was no relationship he didn't understand the implications of it but he listens to Brian Cox who says all this stuff that is literally stratospheric and mm-hmm. you know cosmic but because he says it in such a way you can sort of understand it and you can see how it applies if you can put what you're doing is sort of a somewhere in between where you're taking the practicality of everyday physical lessons, applying it to Lego to show how it works in, you know, a real environment, which means they go, I'll oh, get it. Yeah, I understand it. Oh, it's fascinating. I'm going to learn it. I'm interested. Uh, um, I, I, part of me, you've probably, you've probably seen my expression, um, but part of me when you sort of mentioned, like, that you hated physics, you know, that is how I felt as a teacher. I felt I was you that hate guy. physics as a teacher. You yeah, were a I physics mean, teacher. And you I, hate... I, I, well, I loved physics as a kid, right? And yeah. so I went into teaching and I thought, yeah, brilliant. I can get more people inspired by this. And I was hampered by this, this, this huge curriculum and the need to teach to a test. I mean, let's be honest. Why are we teaching physics? So you can pass a test. Um, and that wasn't why I went into it, you know? And, and, and to some extent... What I really want to teach them in schools or, you know, anywhere is to be excited enough to go off and learn the stuff they need to learn, to go off to those Brian Cox lectures in their spare time, because it's, you know, I want to empower them to be able to learn this stuff themselves. And I guess when you've got a curriculum that's so super loaded and you have to pass an exam at the end, like you don't pass an exam in Lego, it's okay, right? But... (laughs) You know, I wish you did. Well, actually, I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure all my kids will pass. But that being said, you know, I think we've put the cart before the horse in education. We've pretty much said, right, these are our metrics that we need to tell whether teaching has been successful. And then we put the metric at the beginning and say, how do we optimise the metric so that we get good numbers to show that teaching has been successful well wait a minute maybe we're measuring the wrong thing well I think on what you're saying my one of the reasons we sent our kids to the school we sent them to is because the headmistress at the one of the presentations she stood up there she she is a very good headmistress she said um, that um, the reason your kids will pass their exams here is because they will know what they're talking about they will have learnt what they need to you know they will learn this subject and the byproduct for that is that they will be able to pass their exams the reality of that situation is that uh, what did she say she said we don't prime them for the exams we educate them to be able to pass exams and when it got to exam time GCSEs both my boys were drilled on what they needed to do to pass exams what and it's 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 and it's it is quite universal, and I, yeah. you, you take it. I could take something that I can relate to really easily: is driving. 
I taught my eldest son how to drive. He had a handful of lessons to understand what he needed to do to pass the test, but he could drive because I taught him and I brought all my awareness and experience from riding motorbikes, riding push bikes, driving Mm -hmm. cars, trucks, and whatever I have in my past. And he is a good driver and he passed his test to the point where the driving instructor was on the way back to the driving centre and then realised he had to take him on a detour because he'd passed... he was going back too early because he'd already realised that he could drive and he felt obliged to give him a minor just to give him something. You know mm. what I mean? Um, and I use that analogy because we shouldn't be teaching our kids to pass exams. We shouldn't be teaching them to pass mm. tests. We should be teaching them and enabling them to solve the problems, learn the stuff. And it's mm. their job to... I mean. I'm not in education, so I do say I do understand there's more to it than that. But surely, if you engage with children and make it engaging and inspiring, they will learn. And it sounds like what you do in your lessons does engage, does inspire. And the rewards are you're confident that if you put your the kids who come to your classes in a particular scenario they will be successful in those scenarios because of what they've learned and overcome the problems and had a bit of you know um a boosting confidence a, a boosting resilience and understand that i guess what's been really good for me um as a person who you know who started my own business is that i'm not shackled by the need to pass exams or you know i define my own objectives from the you know for the kids lessons and that's that's been from my you know from from a just purely well-being point of view it's been a a breath of fresh air to be able to say um okay am i gonna you know am i what what am i looking for in this lesson actually i'm just going to change it completely one of the things i did early on was um i had to decide am i going to curriculum align my lessons um so that you know when the kids come in they're learning about something that they're learning in the curriculum because that would have sold quite well. You know, if I could say, all of my lessons are curriculum aligned to Key Stage 2. But I looked at it and I thought, hang on, one, they do all the curriculum stuff in school, and two, why would they need... I mean, is is the curriculum fit for purpose? If they need you to bolster it. Well, yeah, I mean, is is it really fit for the purpose I want from the kids I want to build up their you know I want to build up their resilience their team working skills etc I'm not in a school why do I need to curriculum align this stuff to curriculum align it is actually then to to hobble myself and to say well I, I've got to teach you know I've got to teach them how to multiply in this lesson um, and then we get back to the kids going why do we need to learn this you know in a minute we get back to there I've done I've done it all wrong yeah um, because when you're doing it in this way, you, you know, you, you take the learning and you flip it on its head and you say, let's solve some problems. They learn how to multiply anyway. It's, it's part of the, the journey. If they don't know how to multiply, they'll come and ask. They'll say, okay, this is how you multiply. Oh, brilliant. I can now get this robot up a hill. Because yeah, they need right. it for a purpose. So rather than saying, why are we learning to multiply? Well, that's okay. We learn, if we didn't learn to multiply, this wouldn't happen. So they see the end and they see the purpose in a tool. It's like giving someone a hammer and just telling them to go wave it around. Otherwise, you know, if you give them a nail first and say, right, you know, you've got a, a pillow, a hammer, or a, you know, a vase, 
they're going to figure out what tool they need to use for it and that lesson will stay with them forever if you they're give them finding a, them out for themselves absolutely whereas you know you give them a hammer on its own which is what multiplication is you know, run around with that find no use for it probably smack themselves on the head I don't want to give out blunt instruments you know I give them a, a tool which they immediately use to solve a problem so it's all applicable yeah, yeah pl- and, applicable and that being said like you know I, I feel I feel a bit it's one of those questions but I don't want to knock my colleagues in, in teaching because they work hard to try to you know nobody goes in there and goes I'm going to just teach a lesson that's just not fun. But nobody ever sets off with that intention, right? So, you know, you always kind of want to, but then you just go, oh, right, we've got a test at the end of this term. And then and you've got a certain amount of time to get them test worthy. We've made the whole system, like, upside down. We've, we've put the metrics straight, like, right in the centre and then expected that kids come out inspired. Um, it's not for fit for purpose. It hasn't been fit for purpose for a long time. And we've got a lot of teachers working really hard within a system that's broken. Um, and, you know, from my point of view, I, I'm, I'm not one of the lucky ones because I can come into a, a class and say, I'm going to teach Lego. I know I'm going to cover these, these objectives. I can curriculum align them for your, your classroom. But, you know, this is what I do all day long. But I know from having worked in the classroom that, a lot of teachers don't have the luxury of being able to say, okay, we're going to you know, give you the problem first and then give you the, uh, give you the way to solve it. Because when you get around at a test, if you haven't got the way to solve it, yeah, even if you, you haven't learned it in necessarily the most fun, effective way, you need that hammer when you go into the, uh, into the, you know, into the test. And they've got to give you that, no matter how badly... You know, they've got to give you that. And so I do feel really bad for the teachers still there with a chalk face, constrained by the system. Yeah, the chalk face. It's not, they don't use chalk anymore. No, the whiteboards, not. don't they? <laughs> yeah. even, no, actually, they don't even use whiteboards. It's digital, digital pinpointing things. Um, well, Andy, we're at an hour now. Oh, wow. So, which has flown by. It's been fascinating talking to you and learning all about your... Uh, exploits with lego and your obviously enthusiasm um i think it's fantastic what you are the tools you're giving the kids you um serve as it were um i think it you're giving them probably a lot more than you give yourself credit for and i think there's the byproduct of that is that there's going to be people coming out of the other end who are are do become engineers do become problem solvers do Mm. Um, shape the world in a different way it's probably going to be in the shape of Lego admittedly but um, it's great it's been great talking to you and um, I know that there's I could continue talking for ages and we'll gabble on about other things so um, but we've got to wrap it up now thanks Nathan it's been an absolute pleasure I could talk about Lego um, problem solving all day long so yeah well, anytime you want to mate